0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network, a place for up-to-date animal information in Ontario. This podcast w- was designed to give veterinarians and their staff some quick and useful information while getting on with their busy lives. My name is Dr. Andrew Vince, pathologist with the Animal Health Laboratory, and I'm here today interviewing Dr. Andrew Peregrin, parasitologist and associate professor with the Department of Pathobiology at the OVC who's going to provide us an update on hemonchosis in small ruminants. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew, are you seeing changes in how hemonchosis manifests itself throughout the year?
1: Absolutely. Um, When I came to OVC um, 17 years ago, hemonchosis in small ruminants occurred at a very defined time of the year, and that was classically towards the end of July and then throughout August. Um, But in the last few years, we've started seeing clinical cases of hemoncosis occurring much later uh, in the year than that. In fact, right up to the end of November. um, Certainly in 2013 and 2014, we were seeing cases. We don't know why that's happening. um, And it's not just an occurrence on one or two farms. It's been an issue that appears to be developing on multiple farms across southern Ontario.
0: I see. And what have we learned about how Haemonchus survives from one grazing season to the next in Ontario?
1: From work that we've carried out on a number of farms across the province, um, it's very clear that at the moment Haemonchus does not survive the winter on pasture. Um, Our climate here kills the parasites on pasture. Um, Unlike the other important gastrointestinal nematodes of sheep, particularly telatostasia and trichostrongulus, that are well able to survive our winters on pasture. Instead, haemonchus at the moment almost entirely survives the winter within ewes. So towards the end of the grazing season, um, the parasites go dormant in ewes, survive the winter within ewes, and then in the spring, they resume development. And so when ewes are turned out on pasture in the spring, you're typically now turning them out onto pasture that's effectively clean of haemarchus. But unless those ewes were dewormed, their infections resume development and result in contamination of pasture in the spring. So use play a very important part in the initial establishment of parasites and build-up of parasites on pasture in the springtime. Uh,
0: what are uh, some important facts that we can appreciate about the build-up of hemonchus on Ontario pasture?
1: As in other parts of the world, Haemonchus thrives um, when conditions are hot or hu- and humid. Uh, it likes classic Ontario summers. Um, It's ideal temperature for developing in the environment from egg to the infective third stage larva is anywhere from about 25 degrees centigrade up to about 37. And when the temperature ranges in that within that um, area, you can get development of eggs to the infective stage within as little as three or four days. And so there is the potential at that time of the year for very rapid um, development on pasture. And if the conditions remain warm to hot and humid, the parasites will remain viable on pasture for a good number of weeks or months. A good summer, as far as die off of parasites in the environment, is when it's extremely dry, um, but often that's not the case in Ontario. But that historically has been why we see these big outbreaks in July and August, because you've had this rapid build-up in the preceding weeks of large numbers of parasites.
0: On herd level, when, when should fecal monitoring be carried out? Should, they, should veterinarians be using quantitative or qualitative methods? Um, and what fecal egg count threshold should we be using for determining whether we need to treat animals?
1: So monitoring the fecal egg count is incredibly important to determine whether the parasite control program you have in place is working effectively. Um, the best time of the year to be doing it, certainly in lambs, is probably towards the end of July, end of June, early July, um, before you, we typically start, start seeing significant disease. So as far as monitoring lambs, where typically um, parasite problems are is worst, um, that's the best time of the year to be doing faecal monitoring. Qualitative monitoring, and that's sending faecal samples off to a lab and then getting the report as one, two or three plus, isn't helpful at all. Uh, and the reason is um, there's a lot of data that indicates that if faecal egg counts are less than about 500 eggs per gram, animals don't need deworming. In fact, they should be left alone. Um, we typically say that if egg counts are above 500, um, you can justify deworming, particularly if egg counts are above 1000 eggs per gram. What's the problem with qualitative egg counts? Well, a 3-plus reporting in most labs equates to a fecal egg count of 150 eggs per gram or more. All right? So it could be a million eggs per gram, or it could be 151 eggs per gram. All right, And if you only report it as 3-plus, you have no idea within that range where the actual egg count is. You don't know if it's less than 500, and therefore the animals don't need deworming. So it isn't sensible to be doing qualitative egg counts. You need to request quantitative egg counts. Now, ideally, um, it's requested, it's suggested that you should be monitoring at least 10 representative animals. Um, and then you should be pooling the samples. If you're going to do that, which is the best way to do it. Uh, do ask the diagnostic lab to carry out the pooling. So send in 10 individual fecal samples and ask the lab to pool it for you. Um, some people it asks them to pull it for you if you wish to save money and just have one sample analyzed ideally you should be asking the lab to do 10 individual samples
0: okay how widespread is anthelmintic resistant in walcus and Ontario?
1: how widespread is resistance it's a lot more widespread than we thought it would be a few years ago when we first started looking at this issue a few years ago we did a survey on anthelmintic usage on sheep farms and overall people are deworming animals somewhere between two and three times a year. And so by comparison to other countries in the world, like New Zealand, that use a lot more dewormers, we thought we wouldn't have much resistance. Um, We then went out to a good number of representative farms across the province uh, and evaluated the drug susceptibility of parasites using using the gold standard faecal egg count reduction test. And quite to our surprise, we went on to 29 farms to evaluate the susceptibility of parasites to ivermectin. And on 27 out of those 29 farms, there was ivermectin resistance. And on 20 farms where we were able to evaluate susceptibility to fenbendazole, panicure or safeguard, 20 out of those 20 farms had resistance to fenbendazole. And almost every one of those farms also had resistance to ivermectin. Now, the particularly scary finding was that almost all the resistance was actually in Hemonchus and not in the other gastrointestinal parasites. So many farms have got multiple class resistance in the most pathogenic gastrointestinal parasite of sheep, and that's in Hemonchus. So that was a big, big surprise. It's much more widespread than we thought it would be. It's not having a clinical impact on every farm, but it certainly has the potential.
0: Why is this resistance developed?
1: Why is it d- developed? Um, why do we have such significant problems? We've talked to colleagues around the world and, and everyone is of the same opinion that it's associated with producers in Ontario typically treating all ewes at lambing. So why is that a significant issue? It's a significant issue because, unlike other parts of the world, as I mentioned earlier on, our winter climate kills off all hemoncus on pasture. So if you deworm all ewes as lambing in the spring and then turn them out onto pasture that's now clean, the only parasites that contaminate the pasture coming out of the ewes at that point are parasites that have survived treatment and are drug resistant. So very quickly in Ontario, you can establish significant levels of drug resistance in
0: haemonchus. So how can the... Average practitioner determine if a farm has anthelmintic resistant in humongous.
1: So how can you tell if you've got anthelmintic resistance? Um, It's by doing fecal monitoring during the summer months when egg counts are typically at their highest. You need egg counts of at least 150 eggs per gram. The cheapest way to have an initial look at this is to carry out what's called a drench check. And that is to collect fecal samples from at least 10 animals about at least 10 to 14 days after they have been dewormed, ideally by a veterinarian. So you're absolutely certain they have received the correct dosage. But if you just collect fecal samples 10 to 14 days after treatment, and only that, there should, if the drug's fully efficacious, essentially being almost no eggs present. If there are eggs present, all right, it doesn't prove there's resistance, but it's highly suggestive. So quite often you'll do that, you'll go out two weeks later, there are no eggs present. All right, Uh, which is pretty strong evidence in Ontario that the drug was fully efficacious. However, if if there are eggs present, you need to go back and carry out a full faecal egg count reduction test. And you need to collect um, representative groups of animals, ideally about 15 animals in each group, and deworm them, usually as a veterinarian, collect individual faecal samples from all 15 animals, carry out quantitative faecal egg counts, deworm them all yourself with the drug you want to evaluate at the recommended dosage, and then repeat that whole process 10 to 14 days later on the same animals. If the drug is fully efficacious and there is no anthelmintic resistance, you should see the faecal egg count reduced by at least 95%. If it doesn't, um, then globally, that's the definition of there being anthelmintic resistance. So, for instance, if the egg count for the whole group drops by an average of only say 80%, it has dropped by 80%. But by definition, because it hasn't dropped by at least 95%, you have anthelmintic resistance on that farm. Sure.
0: Sure. Uh, what are some recommendations for preventing the development of anthelmintic resistance on on farm?
1: So, what are some of the recommendations for preventing the development of anthelmintic resistance there's a number of different recommendations but in light of what i said about why we think resistance has developed so quickly i think the mantra for managing parasites in the future is that no longer can we be deworming all animals every time where at all possible you need to leave at least 20 to 30 percent of animals untreated so that drug susceptible parasites can survive um, in that environment. Now that's easy to say, but how do you do it? And there's a number of different clinical parameters you can use. Ideally, you would do fecal egg counts on every animal every time, but that's just prohibitively expensive. During the summer months, um, certainly when hemonchus predominates, um, looking at the color of the mucous membranes, particularly by using the Fematcha system, um, You should only be deworming animals that, for instance, have a FAMACHA score um, of three, four or five. So only the animals that are anemic are dewormed. Leave those others, um, the the healthy looking ones, leave them untreated. Deworming ewes at lambing in the spring, as I mentioned, we think has been the primary driver for the development of resistance. And so instead of deworming all ewes, and that's optimally done about a month before lambing, carry out a thorough clinical examination of the ewes um, and only d1 ewes with a body condition score of two or less with a fermatra score so that's a mucous membrane score of four or more or if they have if you know they have three or more lambs on board from ultrasound work it's quite clear um, the body condition score for score and the number of lambs they're carrying have a close relationship with the, the amount of egg shedding that's occurring in the environment and from our own work using those clinical parameters we've been able to um, reduce the amount of deworming groups of ewes so that at least 30 or 40 percent of the use are not dewormed at lambing time okay there's a few other practical issues to look at very critically and that is all the deworming that's being carried out ideally should be carried out with an oral product um, if that's not possible then perhaps an injectable Um, But ideally, all the evidence indicates that resistance develops much more slowly if you use an oral product and never, ever use a cattle poron on on small ruminants. It appears to very strongly select for the development of resistance. And the other issue is working with your clients. Make sure that the, the dosing is occurring to individual body weights if at all possible. Check how body weights are being determined. Animals should not be dewormed on the basis of the average weight for a group but should be dewormed on the maximum weight of an animal in that group. So if anything, animals are being slightly over dewormed, not under dewormed. Make sure the drenching gun is being recalibrated regularly. Um, It's quite clear on many farms that many years can pass um, after it was last, after the drenching gun was last recalibrated. So have a look at that. So there's a number of different things that can be looked at to try and reduce the rate at which resistance
0: develops. Okay. Um, If you have resistance to both, say, ivermectin and fenbendazole on a farm, as you mentioned before, what are your options for controlling the parasites? Um, Like, What what alternative dewormers do we have available? So the first thing to ask yourself, if you have double class resistance,
1: and so that's resistance to both ivermectin and fenbendazole, I think the first thing to ask is, can you actually control the parasites without any dewormers? And it's very clear from work we've carried out on organic farms in ontario that if you pay particular attention to environmental monitoring and controlling parasite burdens on pasture with various grazing strategies um, and other strategies that um, are fully described in a handbook that will be mentioned at the end of this podcast that if you do that and regularly monitor fecal counts, if you're very careful you can control parasite burdens in sheep including Haemonchus, just as effectively as traditional farms with dewormers. Now, the reality is, for instance, because of stocking density issues in some farms, you're going to have to use dewormers. If you have no efficacy left in ivermectin and fembenazole, you have a number of options. Some people certainly have been using levamisole, um, but at the moment that can only be obtained uh, in Canada through a compounding pharmacy, and so that's not ideal. Um, as far as alternative products that are commercially available, um, at the moment in Canada, a, a new dewormer for North America called Closantel that's marketed under the name of Flukever by Alanco Animal Health is currently available with an emergency drug release. Um, it works extremely well against himonchus infections that are resistant to ivermectin and fenbendazole. Just one thing to note, it doesn't have activity against the other Im- important gastrointestinal parasites of sheep, although during the summer months, on most Ontario farms, it's very clear that hemonchus predominates. So that is a useful alternative. Um, two other products that have been introduced on the global market that come have drugs belonging to different drug classes and so are active against infections that are resistant to both ivermectin and fenbendazole. One is a drug called Monipantle, sold under the name Zolvix by Novartis Animal Health. Um, It appears it's going to be introduced onto the US market uh, in the near future and so that could be obtained with an emergency drug release. Um, Alternatively, Zoetis have a product containing two drugs, um, Dequantil and abamectin, and it's sold under the name StarTect. I think it's important to appreciate that all those dewormers will work highly effectively in Canada at the moment. However, If we don't change the management strategies for how we use these dewormers, we will have resistance um, quickly. And if I can give one example of that, um, the new drug MoniPantle, sold under the name Zolvix, was first introduced into New Zealand. Um, But within four years, they started seeing resistance to it. So it works in the short term, but unless we change how we use dewormers, we're going to have resistance to those. So whatever you use, be careful and ask yourself, am I doing things with this dewormer that should mitigate the development of resistance?
0: Thank you, Andrew, for this update on Hemancosis in small ruminants. For further information, you can refer to the Handbook for the Control of Internal Parasites of Sheep and Goats, available online at the link posted with this podcast. On behalf of the Animal Health Laboratory and the Ontario Animal Health Network, this is Dr. Anderkins wishing you a good day.